0: If you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 tonight. We are coming to the conclusion of the prize fight we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And uh, this last round, if you will, the final round, is not the final conflict that uh, Jesus would endure before his ultimate home going uh, after the cross, but. the reality is that this was an important moment in the continuing testimony of the Son about the Father and, uh, and who He was in the Father and on behalf of the Father. So as we look into this passage, read with me again, beginning in verse uh, 49, and we will continue through the end of the chapter. It says there, uh, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my Father and you dishonor me. But I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Truly, truly, I say to you, or uh, the old King James said, Verily, verily, I say to you, If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, and the prophets also. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. It's ludicrous to them at that moment to hear him say, That just by following him or attending to his truth, uh, what he's preaching and proclaiming, that you would escape death. But the reality is, they're listening on a very uh, uh, pragmatic, a very natural level, and he's talking about eternal and spiritual matters. The reality in verse 53 says, Surely you are not great, uh, excuse me, back up. Um, Yeah, 53, surely you are not greater than our father Abraham who died. The, the prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? As if Jesus made himself to be anything. First of all, he was unmade. He's eternal. Everything else is made, but he's not. The scripture says, again, Jesus answered, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say, He is our God. You claim that that the Father, the, the one who was proclaimed by Abraham, the one who was named by Moses, the one whom the prophets talked about, and I whom they foretold, you claim that that God is your God. The God is your God. But here is where they're confused. Look with me. And you have not come to know Him. Let me share with you a little lecture before we get started. There's a lot of folks that claim God, but do not know him. But I know him. And if I say that I do not know him, if I were, if you, in our vernacular, if I were to say that I didn't know the father, the, the one true God, he says, I will be a liar like you. I do know him and keep his word. You see, I keep his word. That's why I can say you can keep my word and never taste death. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Now, again, they're thinking on a natural level. They respond. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? You know, they're, they're, they're elbowing each other. This, this guy is a stark raven lunatic. By the way, do you know where we get that word, lunatic? Same root where we get lunar, like the lunar landing. I know some of you don't believe that ever happened either, but let's just go on from there. There's other crazy folks in the world too. Lunar means about the moon. And a lunatic was what many believe. And I listen, I don't know if I've shared with you, but uh, I think I did a while back. Uh, Right after I graduated college, my wife was a year behind me, and I was pastoring a small church in Selmer, Tennessee, but it was a bivocational church. Now, it was a sweet church, and we learned a lot during that time of starting out ministry as a married couple, but in order to meet the bills, I also worked full-time for a mental health organization. Uh, You know, if you're in Selmer, you're real close to Bolivar, all right? (laughs) And, and I, you know, those of you that are not from West Tennessee or not from this part of the country, if somebody threatens to send you to Bolivar, it's not for your good, okay? <laughs> You're going to go with, you know, a, a sleeveless jacket that's white and your arms are tied behind you, uh, usually in the back end of a squad car or a sheriff's deputy's vehicle. And uh, at that time, the Bolivar, uh, the, uh, the highway uh, going through Bolivar Went right up close to the buildings, those Gothic buildings, uh, and the the Gothic spire building was the administration office. Now I didn't work for the state; I worked for a auxiliary organization. But our main office was on the grounds of Bolivar Mental Health Facility, and so I was pastoring during the week and uh, working during the week. And I had one fella; he was a he was a uh, farmer and. Uh, Always had, you know, always wanted to joke around and tell something and get me, you know, all upset and confused and all that. And so one day he's saying, Hey, hey preacher, I, I just want to ask, doesn't it worry you? I said, What what worries me? He said, Going into that place over there at Bolivar. I said, Why would it bother me? Now I'm six foot four, two hundred, none of your business and And uh the reality is that not not I mean it'd take a Sunday school- like junior samples on hee-haw, it 'd take a Sunday school to whip me uh but uh but they said, you know well, you know all those folks they got problems, and don't you worry they'd all gang up on you? you know <laughs> I started laughing at him. I said, "Don't you understand the reason they're there, they can't get their heads together." <laughs> Here's the thing, folks. Here's the thing. They thought Jesus had been staring at the moon all too long. And had lost his mind. You're not even 50 years old. Now, that was true. You're you're not... You're saying that that Abraham looked forward to your coming and he saw it and was glad... he lived centuries, he lived a millennia and a half ago, more than that, two millennia. And you're saying he knew you and was gladdened by your arrival? Again, they're looking on a natural, temporal level. And he's called them, he, Christ, is calling his listeners to see the eternal. See what is Seen by the, the heart that is tempered toward and turned toward the truth. Look with me. He says, Jesus said to them, verse 58, Truly, truly, I say to you, as if to clear things up in a second, what he's talking about to these carnal, natural, temporally minded men, before Abraham was... I am. Therefore, they picked up stones. Now, see, they they know exactly what he's saying now. They don't have any doubt. He's claiming to be God, a very God. He's blaspheming the Father that they claim to be their God. Therefore, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. That is... It's not that he was scared. Again, we've talked about this way that he just kind of slips into the crowd over and over again during these days. Why? Because it was not yet his time according to the Father. It wasn't that they weren't going to kill him. It was just not going to happen until God said, now. Now look with me again as we walk through this passage together. First of all, in the beginning of our reading tonight, we see the, the the Savior's singularity, the Savior's singularity. You say, "What do you mean by that?" I mean His ultimate one target focus. There was nothing that was going to distract Him from His purpose. Why? Well, first of all, because of His concern. Verse fifty-eight. Excuse me, verse forty-eight. The Jews answered and said to him, do you not rightly say, do, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? And he answers in verse 49 where we picked up tonight, I do not have a demon, but I do honor my father and you dishonor me. You see, his concern was not whether they liked it or not. Whether they under everyone understood it or not, because let me share with you, God, it's not that Christ wasn't wanting them to understand. It wasn't want, that He didn't want them to come to belief and faith in Him. It's the understanding, and you and I, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, if we're staying dusty, that is, we're following the Lord close enough that as disciples, that His dust kicked up as He walks through this life falls on us okay if we're following after him if we're taking on his approach his attitude his awareness of what is right and what is wrong what is weighty and what is is frivolous then we need to understand Jesus Christ did not waste his time with people who would not believe now he gave them clear instruction clear opportunity But when they showed that that they were not willing, it wasn't that he gave up on them. It wasn't that he wasn't open to receiving them in a later time. But he wasn't going to waste time while they were yet unwilling to believe. He was going to share with those that did. His concern was to honor the Father. In fact, he said it this way, I do always that which pleases the Father. Oh, don't we want to be dusty that way? Don't we want to follow Christ so closely that in our heart and in our attitudes and our opinions and our actions and our reactions and our responses, even in our body language, we would mimic the Savior. His concern was to honor the Father. And yet, as he was doing that, and listen, this is God of very God talking about his relationship with the, se- the first person of the Trinity, the second person of the Trinity is saying, This is the kind of relationship we have. I honor him. And yet, because of your unbelief, you don't even see that and you despise me, you dishonor me. Being religious people, being uh, uh, ostensibly the the children of God, God's chosen people, the, the leaders of God's chosen people. Instead of seeing and honoring what you see God doing in me, you reject it, you dishonor it, and in doing so you dishonor me. My concern is to honor the Father, to do that which pleases and glorifies Him. That's my concern. My content is this. Look with me again in this passage. Verse 49 and the beginning of verse 50. Again, but I honor my father and you dishonor me, but I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges there is one who seeks you see god seeks glory god seeks his own glory you see you say well wait a minute preacher isn't that a little narcissistic isn't that a little self-engrossed isn't that a little myopic that god would seek his own glory Absolutely, positively, no. Why? Because God is the only one worthy of glory. And for him to say, oh, no, no, don't give the glory to me. Give it to somebody else would, to be, would lessen the glory of God that is only due, only worthy of him. It would, it would upset the, the heavenlies if he were to say, no, 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 I, I, I'm not worth glorifying Oh no, he's infinitely gloriously worthy of all honor and praise. And and everything that we are, everything, I mean, we, we need to come to the point where we realize, Lord, the reason I want to stay dusty with Jesus, the reason I want to follow him closely. You see, I don't know if if uh Miss Hackett remembers, but <laughs> when we were both serving Uh, in the foreign land called Briarcrest. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. We were both over at Briarcrest on the faculty and I was given an opportunity uh, once or twice to do chapel while I was there. And and, uh, one message, I I still have the notes. And uh, some of those young ladies and men were were at Briarcrest in the system since pre-K. So some of them were sitting there in that chapel service as seniors and and they'd been there 13 years. And yet, after not too long maybe a semester, two semesters, maybe it was three semesters into my tenure there I'd realized something. That in the South, in the Bible Belt, in the buckle of the Bible Belt called Memphis I know that's a little different now than it used to be, but, but especially in the bu- belt buckle of the Bible Belt and and being in a Christian school, and, and yet you understand, and I understand, not everybody that's in a Christian school or even in a church are true believers. They are not staying dusty. <laughs> but I challenged that young crowd. I said, Some of you have realized that there's a line in life. It's, it's a really, ra- almost a razor thin line some, in some opinions, but, but you know it's there. The problem with some of you is you're living a life, whether your parents know it or not, that you're coming up as close to the line as possible. You want to be just as close to the world and to be as associated with the world's affairs as possible so you won't look out of place. What's the problem is when you stand that close to the line, you don't have that much balance. You, you, I know you think you're never going to die, that you're invulnerable to any, uh, any heartache or any hurt or anything. You're young and I get that. And I'm not going you know, to say, oh, you'll learn something. I'm just telling you, I get it. But the problem with being enamored with your own invulnerability is you think you can test God and get away with it. But be sure your sins will find you out. And you see, instead of coming as close to the line as you can, let me share with you what I've learned in the 16 years since I've been at Bellevue, uh, coming out of Briarcrest and that pastor that I had over in Fayette County at the time, and all those adjunct classes that I was teaching at night as well, that you don't have to be 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 years old to try and live on the line. There's a lot of folks, even in this room today, I would be unsurprised by who you're living your life really close to the line. Maybe not in every aspect of life, but there's an aspect of life where you have said, you know what, I think God gives me freedom in this area. sure he does. God doesn't take, you know, it's by the renewing of your mind, not the removing of your mind that you follow Christ, Okay. God doesn't say, I take all choice from you. I take all responsibility from you. Once you come to Christ, you're a robot and I'm going to make you do. And whatever you do is just my, my, my manipulating your life. No, no, no. We still have a full range of decision and responsibility. But Let me share with you. Instead of us coming close to the line, glorifying God, honoring him, doing always ple- what pleases him, calls us not to say, I want to sneak up to the line. I want to just get a little closer, Brother Noble." I mean, the world is such a wonderful place. I see war- you know, s- fields of green, skies of blue. <laughs> what a wonderful world. No, folks, this is a fallen world when it comes to spiritual things. And you and I don't need to say there's nothing good in the world. God made a good world as far as a lot of things. That we are to enjoy. But let me tell you, it's a fallen world full of temptation. And instead of trying to get as close to the line without falling to that temptation, why don't we just pursue Jesus and say, I'm going to leave that world behind me. And if it hair lips the devil, if it makes everybody think, I, man, <laughs> ladies, gentlemen, let me share with you. I'm 55 years old. And you know what? I have come into a, a, a season of freedom I have not known as a believer. I've told you I'm Mike Crouch, recovering legalist, and I am. But at this point in my life, I want to share with you something. I'm not really concerned anymore about being a people pleaser. Now, I, I, I don't want to offend folks just for the sake of offending them, that just hinders the gospel. But I'm going to be kind, I'm going to be gracious, I'm going to be, but I don't have to participate. I was talking to a 14-year-old this morning. Reminded him, good morals, excuse me, bad company corrupts good morals. You know, when the Proverbs included that, it didn't say for people 21 and under. It's all of us. What you associate, whether it's individuals that you hang out with, that you're frequent friends and your dinner companions with, or whether it's who you're listening to on the radio, the television, or any podcast or program on the Internet, let me just share with you, bad company continues to corrupt good morals. So why not follow the one who is truth? The one who always glorifies the Father. The one who examples for us how we should live. That's His content. Why? Because there is one who seeks. You know why it's so important for us to ask ourselves, continue to assess ourselves continually as to where we are with Christ? How close are we with Him? Not, have I failed Him? I'm not talking about beating yourself up, you know, whipping yourself with a cat of nine tails like Martin Luther did before he came to faith. I'm talking about just saying, Lord, is there something that you would like from me that I could do more more fervently with more joy? Is there some area that I've held on to that that just doesn't help anymore? It's not that maybe it's fundamentally evil, but it's just not helpful for my walk with you anymore. Lord, if you'd show me that, I'll be willing to jettison that. Walk away from it. Because nothing is more important than your glory. The reality is, that's not only the concern of Christ, but that's the content of what he did. Now, the reality is he goes on in this singularity this oneness of focus and look with me again in this passage in chapter 8 let's look at verse 51 truly truly i say to you if anyone keeps my word he will never see death <laughs> this is a covenant this is a, it, it, you see his concern is to to <laughs> glorify the father and his content is by the way he lives out and he speaks the truth and he lives the truth and he models the truth and he invites us to join him in the truth. But he says, listen, if you'll keep my word, that is not if you'll hold on to your Bible real tight. <laughs> you know, I, I know a lot of Christians that <laughs> it's almost like if I just keep it close by osmosis, it will bleed into my skin and into my brain eventually. No, open the Bible, read it. Meditate on it. Meditate on it. You know, Psalm 1 is one of my favorite psalms. Got a lot of favorite psalms. <laughs> you know, every time Brother Steve says, this is one of my favorite passions, I said, man, he's got a lot of favorites. He does. Why? Because he lives in the Word. He models that in a, in, a, in a measure for us. And <laughs> But when I was talking to this young man this morning, I said, you know, if you read Psalm 1, the first few verses are negative. He kind of looked at me a minute and he said, What you know? Negative in he thought in the in the sense of they're negative in their in their tone. I said, No, 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 it's not the tone, it's not, it's not the emotion, it's it's that it says the godly man doesn't, the godly man doesn't, the godly man doesn't. And I said, you know what? I think sometimes we forget that sometimes godly men and women are marked by what they don't do. I don't walk. I don't stand. I don't sit with the ungodly. That doesn't mean I never interact with them. It doesn't mean I don't tell them about Jesus from time to time As much as, as many times a day or as many times a week as I get. I want to tell people about Jesus but I don't make them my bosom pals. They're not my inner circle. Why? Because I don't want to be infected by the sin and the, and the, the evil and the diabolical thinking of their lives. I want to infect them with the truth, yes, but, but I'm not going to spend my time. Why? Because that's godly man, he doesn't sit. Excuse me, he doesn't, he doesn't walk, he doesn't stand, and he doesn't sit. With such folks, but what he does do, you see, there's a progression. I'm walking, then I'm am standing right there listening, and then I sit down with him. He said, "But you think that's that? You get to that that third part. That's that's you're settling in with the evil company." He said, "But a godly man, <laughs> if you think sitting was something more, he plants himself." By the river of living water. He invests, he roots himself down into the rich, fertile soil by, that sits beside the ever-streaming Word of God. The water of the word washes over him and nourishes all that he's taking in. And he is able to take in the truth over and over again. And because of that, he will in due season bear fruit. And his leaf is continually green. There's no inconsistency. You know, the more inconsistency I see in my own life is when I'm not in the word. I'm not just dwelling in the Word of God. I've let something happen. Now, it's not that I suddenly leave off and don't, don't read, but, if, but even in those moments, you know, the alarm went off and I hit snooze or I, I hit off instead of snooze, and now I'm running late, and I didn't have the kind of rich time that hopefully we have on a fairly regular basis with God. Even Let me tell you what. Even a Monday morning, <laughs> we're bad on Mondays, even a Monday morning when you read every passage that God set before you in the, whatever plan you're leading, and you say, Lord, I read it all and I, I, I don't know what to do with that. That's kind of dry. It may be in some of the richest parts of the Scripture, but you just didn't sense anything particularly for, to prepare you for the day. Let me just tell you, that's a moment you just lean into the one who's creating the dust. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I'm just going to keep leaning into you, Lord, because eventually you're going to show me why I needed to read that today or why you're going to use it in a couple of days because I'm going to recall that while I remember what I read, I didn't get a feeling about it because it's not about my feelings. It's about the fact that I've been called to plant myself near you. You see, when we do, when we keep his word, hmm. Read it again. We will never see death. (laughs) You say, wait a minute. Aren't you in pastoral care? (laughs) Yes, I am. Aren't you the guys that help families that grieve the loss of their loved ones? Yes, we do. And over the 35 years of ministry that God's given me up to this moment, let me just tell you, I've stood beside a lot of different moments at gravesides, a lot of different families. And I want to tell you, not cliche, not just to blow sunshine your way. I'm telling you, there's a real tangible difference between the death of a saint and the death of a sinner. Now, I'm going to preach Jesus both places. But here there's hope. Here there's heartache that only the master working in incredible ways tailored to those individuals that love that lost now person, eternally lost person, only he can be the balm of Gilead to those hearts. Let me tell you something. Those of us who keep the word The fact that my breathing stops and my brain waves cease. Listen. <laughs> I'm more alive than any of you. Death. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying death on this side of eternity is, is hard, but we're not to live in light of today. We're to live in light of eternity. When I shut my eyes for the last time, when my lungs expand and breathe out for the last time, when that brainwave electronic or electrical impulse goes for the last time and there is nothing oh my friends don't you worry about me instead of saying oh Lord can I, God, I just love them so much I'm going to go oh Lord can I stand over there on the edge and wave them in I don't want to go back but I want them to come on why because I'm never seeing death Death is just a momentary door that I'm going to step through into life more real, more powerful, more abundant than I've ever known here. That's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate, not just to those Jews that were mocking him and calling him a lunatic and all this, but to everyone else that was hearing. He wanted those who were willing to listen to hear what he was saying to those who were unwilling to listen so that those who were willing to listen might receive the truth, and keep the truth, keep his word, and that they would never see death. That's what he wanted. That's the covenant that he offers. To as many as believed, to them gave he the right to be called the children of God. Listen, <laughs> when we say it's a homegoing, that's exactly what it is. It's a homegoing. Last week, when Alan sang Beulah Land, you remember the line? I'm kind of homesick for a country to which I've never been before. Folks, I'm more homesick than ever. I really am. Now, you say you're just 55, you know, you got a lot of living. That's right, that's right. Midlife is not half dead, okay? I admit that. I got a lot of living to do. I'm not looking, as my dad used to say, I'm not looking for the next bus to glory. But if it were to arrive, I'm not going to say, Oh, no, I can't do it now, God. The Father and the Son were in perfect tandem orchestration. Their concern, the content, the covenant that they were offering, all of it focused on seeking that which is lost. And He's still doing it today. But as surely as we see the Savior's singularity, we also see the skeptic's cynicism. Oh my. As if they couldn't see, (laughs) even in that moment. They just, well, let's let's put it this way. Instead of listening, let's let's put another word here. It's the skeptic's slander. You see, they were cynical, yes, but the slander is what happened in this last round of chapter 8's battle of wills, this prize fight of all prize fights. We look with me in verse 52. It goes there, the slander begins afresh. The Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. We're more convinced than ever. Abraham died, and the prophets also, and you say anyone who keeps my word will never taste death. Oh, they were critical. Instead of just waiting, you know what? That fellow probably knows how old he is. I told you I'm 55. Well, I'm just shy of 55. 27th of this month, I'll turn 55. So, I, you know, I'm closer to 55 than 54, so I'm just claiming it, I guess. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like those kids. I'm eight and a half. <laughs> Who counts a half? And Maybe I'm young at heart. I don't know. Here it is. They knew he wasn't old enough to know Abraham on a physical, human existence level. That was, that was pure, well, just insanity. Again, he was a lunatic. That's the only way he could say something like that. But it was them who had lack of knowledge, not him. The scripture here goes on. Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, I glorify, my, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is your God. You see, he's at, listen, wait a minute, guys. You think that me saying that I'm in some way acquainted with Abraham and Abraham was acquainted with me, you think that's lunacy, but, but listen, I'm not trying to look, make myself look good. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to win you over by saying, phenomenal things that aren't true that's not what I'm talking about because if I were doing something like that if I was you know you know you know what a braggart is maybe you have one in your family I certainly did I had a a relative that that you know (laughs) you love your family you really do but some of them you love with the with just a will to tolerate (laughs) you know I remember Christmases. We'd all get together, and you know how Christmas is in the South. I mean, if we had what the North has as far as snow, it'd, it'd be great because we could play out in the snow. But in the South, how many times can I remember growing up that it really wasn't snowy, it was just rainy and messy. And so because it was raining and it was cold and your mom said, oh, you'll get cold and you'll get a cold and then we'll have to stay the rest of your Christmas vacation in bed. And oh, no, so we all stayed in this hot house, you know. (laughs) Now, grandmother and granddad had raised five children in that, cl- that house, and so they figured that if you added three times that many people, just grandchildren and then all those children and them, that it would still be okay. And no, there's only so much oxygen in one house. And this particular relative, well, you know, he was the kind of guy that just used up an exorbitant amount of oxygen that really wasn't his to use. The rest of us needed to breathe, Okay. Now, I know that you've got those friends or those family members. We loved him, but, you know, we'd rather him do, you know, we'd rather wait for Easter. It's a little nicer. You can step out on the porch, you know, take a deep breath before you came back in. All joking aside, Jesus never bragged on himself for his own purposes, for his own glory. He said, listen, i I'm not going to glorify myself. It's the Father that will glorify and does even now glorify me. Now here's what I want to tell you. They could not see it. They were trying to catch him up in his words and make out what he was saying to be. They, they, they understood on a very, again, a very bottom floor level. And he was talking second floor truth. And they couldn't get it. But look with me. Their criticism continued. They were, as as I mentioned a moment ago, they just became more and more cynical. So their criticism turns into cynicism. And they said, verse 53, Surely you are not greater than our father, Abraham, who died. The prophets died too. Whom do you make yourself out to be? He was a demon-possessed lunatic, out of his mind, un- incapable of sound spiritual t- instruction or truth. Nobody needed to hear him, and that's what they wanted heard by the crowds around them. But it was their confusion. Look with me in verse 54 and following. Again, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God, and yet you have not come to know him. You see, here's the problem, Mr. Jewish leader, scribe, Pharisee, Sadducee, whatever your orientation among the people might be. Here's the problem. You claim God is the Father God, is your God, but you, you talk about Father, that's a relational term. But all you have is an outward religious practice. You have no personal relationship. But you're lying. And we know he doesn't say you're lying, but look what he does say. If I say that I do not know him, I will be a liar like you. You see, you're lying that you say God is your father or the father is your God. Because you don't have any personal relationship with him. But if I say, hey, I am a lunatic. I am crazy. I don't know what I'm talking about. I would be lying because I really do have a relationship with him. An eternal relationship, a vibrant relationship, a personal relationship, a fervent relationship. And I do always, it pleases the Father. I am always looking to please him. So to say anything else, to say anything less would make me a liar. I would be untrue and as Alan remind us, it's not your truth, my truth, their truth, her truth, his truth. It's truth. And I would be a liar. I will be a liar like you, but I do, not, but I do know him and I keep his word. Your father, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. And again, now they're making a mockery. They continue their cynicism. You're not even 50 years old, and you say Abraham knew you. You knew, look at me. And you have seen him. You've seen Abraham. You're you're not old enough. You're not 50 years old. You're saying you knew somebody lived in chronological terms, in human terms, 2,000 years prior to this? (laughs) Jesus wanted to clarify. He's like, I'm, yeah. Enough with the juvenile. Debate. Truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. Before there was ever (laughs) one electron spinning around one core. Proton, neutron, center of one single atom, I am. Before I said, let there be light, I am. Before I brought out of his rib woman and presented him to Adam, I am. So, yes, before Abraham, I am. Amen. You see, you and I need to understand the wonderful truth of the gospel is Jesus is God. Amen. That is the crux of beginning and understanding of the claims of Jesus Christ that he's God. Born of a virgin, without a sin nature, fully human, fully divine, never one like him before, never one like him since, never will be anyone like him. He's the one and only eternal Son of God. Before Abraham was, I am. Not I was, or not I will be, I am. It is an eternal constant. And when we look into the scriptures, we need to understand that God, a very God, the one who is I am, sought us out. He's the one. The Father ordained the plan, the Son executed the plan, and the Spirit continues to convict us of this plan. I am laid down his life. I am came to seek and to save that which is lost. I am. On December 4th, 1974, a little boy was sitting right on the third row on this side of a little church called Lincoln Heights Baptist Church in a small southern town called Tullahoma, Tennessee. And with Parker on one side and Linda on the other, their oldest boy, having felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit for some time, asking questions on a most regular basis, All of a sudden, on that day, it had become very clear that he wasn't going to be able to walk, breathe, take another step until he settled this question of who I am was going to be in his life. And so Mike Crouch slipped out. He had talked to that preacher the afternoon. Mom and Dad, Parker and Linda, had asked Brother a retired Baptist preacher who was a member of our church who set two or three-year-olds behind us every week to come over after lunch. Now, they had the ability to share, but they wanted to make sure in my young six-and-a-half-year-old little boy's heart I understood what I was doing. They didn't want me to get ahead of anything, but they didn't want to hold me back either. And so Brother Starr came over and on that slippery, naugahyde couch of my mom's, you remember those? You just you lay down and you fall off, trying to get comfortable. Horrible to watch cartoons on. But Brother Star sat down, and because he was a big man, that couch cushion leaned back toward the back of the couch, and I leaned back with it. And for about 20 minutes, he went through a simple gospel that that little boy said, that's what I want. And the I am was born afresh in my heart. What I'd been taught from the moment I was six weeks old, brought to church every week by mom and dad who were always going to be there anyway. What I'd heard, what I'd seen in Bible schools and Christmas pageants and Christmas cantatas. Y'all remember... I I never heard the word cantata outside church, but we had them every year. But all of a sudden, everything that i had been told in my religious life, in my very religious life, my very church-oriented life, became more than simple religion. It became a relationship. And I realized he's everything he said he is, and I need him more than anything. And it's changed my life. I thank God for Parker and Linda Crouch. I thank God for a home where, as we told you last week, we were going to celebrate, and we did, my dad's 80th birthday this past weekend. I thank God that my brother and I can both say that we never saw abuse. We never saw addiction wreck our home. My mom and dad have been married almost 57 years they still love each other. They even still like each other. <laughs> My brother and I both been married to the first wife of our our heart our, of our you know the wife of our youth is still the wife we have. I can thank God for all of that, but I thank him most for that Sunday afternoon when all of a sudden all my questions, all my doubts, all my fears came to a simple moment. And I don't want to underdo or I don't want to lower the bar on the gospel. Please understand me. He understood and he shared. Brother Starr, he, he told me about what repentance was, what faith would mean to trust Christ, and what surrender meant But as best I remember, that little boy, though he's been in a lot of Bible classes since then, gave all I knew of me at that moment to all I understood about him at that moment, and a lifetime of relationship began. Why? Because the I am comes to seek relationship with you and me. I want to thank you. I know this is the last of the The spring-summer session, Uh, we're going to have Camp Outrageous next week, and so the whole building is going to be, you know, outrageous. (laughs) (laughs) And so we don't have Wednesday night services on that week, but because it's so close to the the summertime, there's a lot of camps and a lot of things going on outside, our regular schedule, we're not going to have, this will be the last night until awesome August starts. Okay. Uh, that'll be. they'll be telling us more about that, but uh, got a great lineup. And then we're going to start, the church will continue to, to uh, start the uh, fall semester of Equip and chapel will return in uh, early, late last week of August or first week of September. I think there's uh, a little difference in our schedule this year. However, if you have not heard, uh, the Lord has been working in my life. And uh, I will not be returning. Uh, The Lord has opened up a door of ministry for me uh, to become the uh, pastor of adult ministries at Englewood Church in Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, It is a wonderful, wonderful church with a great history, and we're grateful. But let me tell you, you don't spend 16 years of your life loving on people and being loved by the people called Bellevue and not have a little bit of that bittersweet emotion. Uh, As I shared with others, uh, the whole process has been a surprise in uh, a lot of ways. We weren't looking. We weren't even needing to look. (laughs) We weren't even wanting. There's no burr in my saddle. Nothing to, you know, I got to do something else. And uh, God just brought this, and I had to really pray. You know, Lord, is this, you know, why, why would I make this change? And he said, this is the way. Walk in it. And so we're going to do that, believing him for the results. Thank you so much for allowing me to do what I really enjoy, and that's teach God's word and encourage others to grow in it. But I want to share with you one last invitation. This this is the way walk in it. He is the I am. He doesn't blink at that. He doesn't. He's not bashful about that. He he. You know, people said hey, Jesus never claimed to be God. They don't read the Gospels. He left no doubt. He knew who he was and was unashamed to say, I am. And those that heard him first knew full well what he was saying, whether they received it or rejected it. But friends, the question is, what will you and I do? You say, this is the Wednesday night crowd. (laughs) What are you thinking? I'm thinking that you and I need to not only know that for ourselves, as that little boy did on December 4th, 1974, but I think we ought to be clear when we speak in a hope to glorify the father through the son we don't need to be bashful to tell people no Jesus is not just a good teacher no he's not just a man on a mission no he's not just a wonderful healer no he's not just a friend that sticks closer than a brother he's all those things but you need to understand what makes him distinct from every other faith orientation in the world is that he is I am. He is God of very God, and He alone can offer you and me life without death. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth that Jesus Christ, glorious, wonderful, matchless, awesome in every one of His characteristics, is the one I am who seeks us out, may we gladly, joyfully, boldly, without fear, without hesitation, tell those that will listen and those that need to hear it, even though there may be unwilling in the moment, Lord, help us to be found faithful as you were faithful in proclaiming the I am. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.